1: to a special presentation of the Battery Power Podcast Network. My name's Sean Coleman. Hope wherever you are and wherever you are listening, you are having a great start to your week and a great start to your Monday. Despite the fact that the Braves lost their final game of the first half and of their series against the Tampa Bay Rays, it was a spectacular weekend with a series win over the second-best team in baseball on what has been a truly historic first half of the season for the Braves, and hard to believe it or not, you know, they say time flies when you're having fun. Well, it certainly seems as if time has flown this baseball season as we're already to the 2023 MLB All-Star break. And of course, due to all the success that the Braves have had at the Major League level so far this season, they will be well represented. Eight Braves will be representing the franchise in Seattle for the 2023 All-Star game. So there's going to be plenty to watch if you're a fan of of the Braves. Now, in this normal slot, every Sunday we you usually get the usual weekly episode of the Battery Power Podcast, and that is available for you to enjoy with Stephen Tolbert and Scott Coleman recapping the successful series over the weekend against the Rays, but also what has truly been a magnificent first half for the Braves, looking at a lot of the great moments of the first half of the season. That is available for you to enjoy as is normally is with the Battery, the, with the weekly Battery Power Podcast. But we are going to have three additional episodes, including this one, three additional episodes over the next three days, a day-by-day reaction podcast to what the Braves are going or, or, or doing during a new addition to the All-Star break in recent years. That is the annual um, MLB Amateur Draft, and in the 2023 MLB Amateur Draft, day one is now in the books, and the first three picks for the Braves have been made. Garrett Spain, Matt Powers, and other members of the Bra- Battery Power Network's minor league staff will be joining me on a daily basis to break down the Braves selections, what it means for the minor league system, what to expect the next day, and an overall reaction to another draft class that the Braves are looking to add to their minor league system. So this podcast is the day one reactions to the first three picks of the Braves, and we will have two additional podcasts, one on Monday night going into Tuesday, and one on Tuesday night going into Wednesday, reacting to days two and three. So hope you enjoy this special presentation of the Battery Power Podcast Network, the day one draft reactions to the Braves' first three selections of the 2023. Three MLB amateur draft. Welcome to a special edition of the Battery Power Podcast Network, the day one reaction. To the 2023 MLB Amateur Draft. My name is Sean Coleman, da- regular host of the Daily Hammer, but excited to be here with you for the special edition of the Battery Power Podcast Network with two of the best minds when it comes to minor league baseball and the draft among Braves country, and that is Garrett Spain and Matt Powers. Garrett, how are you doing, sir?
2: I am all right. A little bit tired because it's uh, it's been a busy day, but I'm I'm excited we we got this done and we've we can. Talk about it and get on to the next couple of days of the draft.
1: Absolutely, you heard both Garrett and Matt, along with longtime battery power, uh, battery powered contributor Eric Colt in the preview. But Matt, how are you, sir? And I know uh, again, I believe that this is what coming up on your seventh, eighth draft that you, that you've been doing at least focused on covering for the Braves. So it's always an exciting time for you, I'm sure.
3: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's uh, my favorite three days of the year when the Braves really get to add new talent to the system i mean this along with january which used to be the july 2nd day but this is the day that you really know some of these players as opposed to just scouting reports with the other day
1: absolutely and this draft was you know i had i don't necessarily know if it had a Bit more excitement to it, you know, for, for for someone such as myself, I do not cover uh, the, the, the minor league and uh, draft portion as much as Garrett and, and Matt, but, you know, there were some really good talents, you know, but Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, obviously being at the top of the draft. But, you know, really focused on the Braves. And and one thing, guys, as we dive in here uh, that I, you know, noticed from the preview show uh, when y'all had with Eric Cole. uh, And I would encourage everybody to listen to because there's still plenty of great stuff, even with uh, day one now being done. But one of the things that really stood out is it seemed to be a pretty unanimous thought that the Braves would go with hitting in the, you know, day one of this draft, but instead they go the usual route of investing in pitching. Garrett, just when you, you know, look at the fact that they went with three arms at the college level in, in a draft where it was thought that, you know, they could go hitting early in the draft. What were your thoughts with them instead going the usual route with pitching? Right.
2: I mean, there were definitely options for the Braves at 24 in terms of prep talent, but I think that the guys that they were really looking to, like we know that they were in on Cole Emerson, um, you know that was a guy that they were looking into. He went a couple of picks before, and it seems like for the Braves, they felt that there was a lot of value for the for them in the first round with going with Waldrop. And then just throughout the draft, I think with those latter two... Well, I think it, it the Braves like to build on pitching. I mean, that's what they've done for years now. They want to build depth on pitching. And I don't know if they came into the draft with the plan of yes, we're going to go pitching. Yes, we're going to go hitting it. Just this is the way the board shaped up and I'm generally okay with how it went. I mean, we're going to dig more into some of these guys in the next coming days and really get our thoughts fully fleshed out, but I'm generally okay with where it went. I mean, then there were also prep bats that I would have liked to see the Braves take that they passed on. And we don't really know what the financials are in those situations. You know, guys that fell from up high in the draft may have been asking for too much money and the Braves weren't willing to go there. Uh, so overall, it's kind of, it was a shock. I think that we were not really prepared to go exactly in this direction, but it's, I, we should never be shocked because the Braves never do exact exactly what people think they're going to do.
1: And Matt, you know, to Garrett's point, it is a bit of a shock because, I, like I say, I do think that many were thinking that the Braves would likely go. With some type of hitting early in the day, but it's hard to hard to argue against the track record that they've shown of going the route they did this year, like they have in recent years. The Braves are sending Bryce Elder and Spencer Strider, you know, two college pitchers from the 2020 draft to this year's all-star game. So as Garrett said, you know, it may have been, you know, part of this may have been because of how the board fell, but it's hard to argue that the Braves have had success going the route that they did, you know, in the past with this year's draft, and they once again invest in those college arms. Do you think that's just, at once the board fell the way that it did, the Braves just kind of looked at it and said, okay, listen, hey, we're liking some of the college pitchers that are here. We know that we can help these guys develop. Let's just go with the route that we're familiar with and see if we can't create more success.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think they did want to take some of the prep hitters. They ones that I think they were targeting or may have fallen into their laps ended up going in the last couple picks before them. Uh, the first round pick Waldrip is a guy that I never really considered an option for the Braves. And it was partially because I didn't even think he'd be around at this point because this just is such a poor pitcher draft as a whole that him being the top college pitcher after those guys that went in the top 10, he just seemed like a guy that would most likely be off the board to somebody before pick 24. So it really, if he was gone, it would have almost definitely have had to have been a hitter or an underslot pitcher. But because he was there, I guess that kind of changed the dynamic of what the board looked like. And obviously, change the plans that the Braves would have had for the draft at that point.
1: And so you mentioned the first overall pick, um, uh, Matt, you know, uh, Hurston Waldrop from Florida. I um, mean, you know, he, he, uh, it's from Georgia, a guy who evidently grew up as a Braves fan, someone that, you know, the Braves likely um, had, or they did say that they had been, you know, tracking for years in terms of his progress, went to Southern Miss, went to Florida, but to your point, Someone that the Braves probably didn't expect to be there at 24. And what stands out about Waldrop, Garrett, is that you don't see a pitcher who has the arsenal that he had. I've seen it, you know, many opinions say three or four, perhaps above average to plus pitches. But the first thing that stands out when you're looking at Hurston Waldrop, when you're looking at his profile... He is, I know he has that split change, but just overall the depth in the arsenal that he has, a very deep arsenal that he can use hopefully at any time with many different plus offerings. Right. I mean, you look
2: at Waldrop you look at the guy they've taken guys they have taken in recent years. His biggest risk is command and reliever risk. The Braves haven't really been afraid of those guys in the early rounds. You look at guys like I mean Spencer Strider was a bit of a later round pick, but you look at guys like Spencer Schwellenbach. Cusick, uh, even last year, Blake Burkhalter, which they went with in the second comp round. You know, those are guys that a lot of people were projecting to be relievers and the Braves said, we like the raw stuff. We like what they can do. We have an idea of how we can tweak these guys mechanically and tweak their pitch arsenals to maximize their value and to improve their command. With Waldrop, I think there are clear parts to him mechanically that they can improve on in terms of his lower body and the consistency there in terms of his arm slot. And if they can make those changes, he has the athleticism. And obviously he has the pitch arsenal. I mean, if you're looking at total talent and what you could get at the 24th overall pick, if you're talking pitchers, it's not even close. Waldrop is the highest ceiling that was available at that point. Um, and so if that was the direction that they were go- going and what they were looking for, They got the guy and they have a lot of trust in their development staff and the resources they put into development that they think that they can take any pitcher with that level of athleticism, that level of stuff and turn them into major league pitchers. And they've had a lot of success doing that with guys like Stryver, with guys like Elder and with a guy like, you know, coming up recently, AJ smith Shaver. They trust their development and Waldrop is a guy that they're going to have to do that with because it's going to take a lot. But I can see them really kind of breaking him down this winter and trying to build him up completely differently mechanically
1: and see where that takes him. And then Matt, of course, what what do it Stands out about Hurston Waldrop, of course, is that split change. I believe if you know you were watching the ESPN broadcast broadcast, please y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe what a 63.4% whiff rate, if I remember correctly, it was it was a higher whiff rate than any of Skin's secondary offerings and the second highest of any breaking ball in college. But Matt, you know, I know that's what stands out. That split change potential, 85 to 89 miles per hour. He can obviously miss bats, but you have a pitcher, you know, who who has that one, you know, clear pitch, that one identifying pitch about him. And as we mentioned, he has a deep arsenal. But what about Waldrop is going to make him, you know, is going to allow for him to make that pitch as effective as possible at the major league level? Because, of course, the talent level goes up. Hitters may be able to, you know, lay off of that split change more often. But what's going to make that as effective as possible at the next level with the rest of the stuff that
3: Waldrop offers? So that's got to be his fastball. I mean, he's been up to 99 with it. I think it's not out of the question that he's able to eventually touch 100. Uh, That's what he peaks at. He doesn't sit at that. Uh, I think maybe he can potentially add a little bit more once he gets into a pro system, uh, really matures just a little bit more and just adds that final – extra onto his body to be able to just be able to hold higher velocity longer. So when you're going to throw upper 90s to 100 and you have that split finger and then you have a breaking ball, which is, it's a borderline plus pitch. I'm not sure if I'd give it a consistent plus, but it gets wings and misses. So you have uh, three different pitches with three different actions on them, and they're all able to get swings and misses. So it's easy to see how he's going to be able to get guys out. I mean, obviously, the command is his biggest hurdle, but the stuff is just significant.
1: And then, Garrett, when you, you know, as we uh, again talk about, you know, Hurst and Waldrop, you know, again, that arsenal, that stuff being significant, it seems like, you know, for a Braves, you know, farm system that definitely can use as much talent as it can gain right now, Waldrup would rank pretty high, I would think, in terms of, you know, his overall ranking within the system. When you consider A.J. smith Shaver, and others that are in the system, I mean, Waldrop has to be, pretty much up there i don't know if he'd be at the top but he automatically i would imagine becomes one of the most talented arms in the Braves system and one of their best prospects overall
2: right i'm not not exactly i mean i we haven't even i haven't even thought about prospect lists at this point but he's probably somewhere in the top seven or so for me um the braves have had a lot of guys get injured so a lot of guys have kind of fallen off and i think that there's a pretty clear top two in terms of Owen Murphy and AJ Smith schaver there. But then right when you get into that number three kind of range, you have that debate with guys like Spencer Schwellenbach, where Waldrop may f- fit into that range. Um, in terms of pure talent, in terms of pure ceiling, I mean, Smith Schauber is better. But I don't, I would say Waldrop is probably your second best option there in terms of if you're looking at overall talent among the guys that are healthy right now, at least. He's a guy that could really... He's one of the few players in the system that really have that kind of impact talent. The guy that can come in and really change the franchise versus Rays have a lot of guys that we think could succeed. But when you're looking at mid rotation, to upper level starters, there's not a lot of talent on either side of the ball. And Waldrop represents that in a
1: way that a lot of players don't. So. The thing that stands out then about Waldrop is is that the Braves got a guy that fell to them that, you know, may have changed how they approached the first round of the draft. So then in the second round, you know, in pick 59, the Braves went probably what seems to be a bit under slot um, with uh, Drew Hackenberg, um, you know, a guy that was, you know, I think, you know, with ESPN's list, he was um, 86th, you know, he was in the hundreds, maybe even 200s in some other lists. Someone who definitely wasn't projected to be taken in the second round, but another college pitch who the stuff itself may not necessarily be that, you know, just impressive, but it seems like that, you know, he's got a good command. The thing that stands out about Hackenberg, when you when you look at some of the scouting reports, he has a good understanding of how he can, you know, have success overall with what he has, Matt. What stands out to you about Drew Hackenberg, and why would he be someone that, you know, really stood out with intrigue for the Braves?
3: So I think the biggest thing about Hackenberg, well, things i mean he's got some athleticism in his genes i mean his brother is christian former penn state quarterback who went high in the draft to the jets in the nfl uh, his brother adam is a prospect in the white Sox organization and i think he has another brother that's uh playing some other professional sport uh can't remember what sport that is off the top of my head But, uh, I mean, you look at the family and the athletic ability in that family and that stands out. Uh, So that's the draw with him. Uh, He's had some success at Virginia Tech at times. Uh, Had an up and down career though overall. He doesn't really come with anything plus at the moment. And it's really hard to see anything actually ever grading as a true plus. But it it's all average to above average. And I think, again, another guy where command is somewhat the issue because I think he's more control over command. So while he throws strikes, he doesn't really have the issue where he's walking a ton of guys. The command is still an issue in that it's not going exactly where he wants it. So he's definitely been left more hittable. And that's a bit of an issue when you don't actually miss bats or have that plus stuff. So it's definitely an interesting pick. They must have seen something in a guy like that, that they'll be able to work with and figure something out where they'll be able to make him a better pro pitcher than he was when he was in college. But yeah, definitely a number slot guy for where we're at right now.
1: And Garrett, you know, looking at some of the scouting reports for um, Hackenberg, you know, durability, you know, a a bit boring in that there's just not exciting, overwhelming stuff. Um, You know, someone who's more controlled than command. A lot of those same characteristics would define a guy that, you know, the Braves now have as an all-star in Bryce Elder, and I don't want to be lazy with the comp, you know, to Bryce Elder, I'm sure they have their differences, but just in general, that type of, you know, person who doesn't have overwhelming stuff, but offers durability, and again, seems to be a guy who has a good idea of how to find success with what he can offer. What is it about Hackenberg, even though it, the stuff may not be that great, what is it that the Braves see in what he can offer that makes them think, hey, we have a pretty good idea of where he where he is What about him stands out about where he could be to possibly be someone that could perform at a higher level than many may anticipate right now with where he was expected to go in the draft?
2: I think you look at the athleticism and that's really the draw, right? Because the Braves have brought in guys that are athletic and, again, adjusted their arsenals, tried new pitches, new grips, seen what works for them. Hackenberg has the athleticism. He throws hard. I mean, he's, you know low low 90s can get up to 95 and so it's not like he's a guy that's up there throwing you know low 80s or i mean high 80s low 90s type stuff. he has decent enough velocity he's shown three pitches i think if you can if he can get a change up grip that works for him can get three average pitches there's enough there for a back end starter and there's always value to if you save money on this pick you add depth to the system where we're seeing this year they're going and this happens every year. They go eight, nine guys deep in that rotation. Guys get hurt. Guys don't perform. They have to get options. This is a guy that can presumably with his control, with his athleticism, with his current stuff, if he develops properly, he could develop reasonably quickly. And suddenly you're looking at a guy that a couple of years from now, maybe he's not on your opening day roster, but a couple guys go down, you have a reliable guy that you know he's going to throw strikes. He's got three decent pitches. He's going to get a lot of ground balls. He's not going to get himself into trouble. And you can kind of rely on that guy and hope that he can be more. Uh, I mean, his peripherals at Wake Forest were not, I mean, Virginia Tech were not terrible. I mean, his ERA was very bad this year, but he struck out more guys than innings pitched. He didn't walk very many guys. He didn't give up a lot of home runs. He was better, I think, than that ERA. And he's a draft eligible sophomore, I believe. So, it, it, I mean, he could go back to school. So it's not like, I don't think that they're going to get him cheap because he could go back to school and still have eligibility left in the future. So they're going to have to spend a little bit of money to get him, but they're going to save money here. We'll kind of see how they apply that into the date second day of the draft because they've liked to go and spend more money in the second day of the draft. And they often do on those kind of, Late second round, third round picks. They'll spend more money a little bit later in the draft. And He's a guy that I look at the athleticism. I look at what the Braves have done with athletic pitchers. Even Bryce Elder is a guy that he came into the system. They tried different fastballs. They tried a couple of different sliders and curveballs, and saw what worked for him. And he kind of morphed into the pitcher. These they're going to do that with Hackenberg, and he's a guy that they need to do that with because I don't think that his arsenal right now is MLB is going to make him an MLB pitcher, but he has the kind of base of he has a very simple mechanics and he has a good enough fastball and you can build off of that and see what you can get in other aspects of his development.
1: So, in the first round, that the Braves went with, um, you know, Hurston Waldrop due to, you know, pure stuff, deep Arsenal, you know, just overall, you know, talent. And then, you know, they go with a guy in Drew Hackenberg who's got consistency, as you mentioned, Garrett, you know, pretty easy mechanics, things like that. I think there's a lot of intrigue as well with the fact that they got pretty good value at the number 70 pick in Chad Cull- Culler out of Campbell, you know, at Campbell, Campbell's, I believe they are a system that here recently has done very well at producing, you know, early round talent in the draft. But Matt went. You look at you know a few of the calling cards for color. It seems like his fastball. I don't necessarily want to go as far as saying it's one of the best fastballs in the draft. That may be true, but you've got a good fastball. You've got some intrigue with the off-speed pitches. But you know, with color, that fastball and how he's going to use those off-speed pitches—that seems to be something that really is going to define whether he can turn into a reliable starter or at the very least turn into hopefully an above average to elite reliever. There seems to be stuff there with color. It just is going to depend whether it's going to come out of the rotation of the bullpen.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think he's got some similarities overall in general to all drip. I don't really think they're exactly like, but they both have an at least plus fastball. They've got a, a breaking ball that is a plus pitch uh, or borderline plus pitch. Uh so they also have the command issues. I mean, these are guys that have significant pure stuff, but also command issues. Uh with color, I think the big thing is obviously the fastball that's up to 98, but, but it's better than just the 98 because he's definitely a guy that, that the analytics like with the uh spin rates to it. And he's able to mix in between the two seamers and four seamers with a high spin rate. So it's not just that he has a fastball. He knows how to use it. Now, obviously it gets hit more than it should for what he knows and what he's able to throw just because of the command. But I mean, with some refinement, you could turn that into a real dangerous pitch. And obviously he has uh two breaking balls at the moment, the slider and the curve. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that uh, the Braves are going to keep him with the two breaking balls. Uh, it's probably a matter of just going with one and having that really be his focus. I think that might additionally help him become a better overall pitcher. Uh, and if he's able to really focus on that and uh, the slider grid's out right now a little bit better than the curve, but I mean they're both above average to plus potential pitches. Uh, can both use just a little bit more consistency, particularly the curve ball if that was the pitch that he was to go with. But then he has an average change as well. So you've got a mix to start, but you've also got those command issues. And he's got a little effort in his delivery. And the mechanics have some question to it. So, I mean, even if the command was not necessarily going to be a huge issue going forward, there's still that reliever risk in him, but it's just an arm talent pick.
1: Yeah, and Garrett, you know, you in, in, in you know, some of the chats that we had before the podcast, you've even mentioned it here a few times. Can you dive in a bit more into, the, you know, that reliever risk and the fact that sometimes that could be, you know, a bit of, you know, a concern about some of these pitchers. But for the Braves specifically, that's something that they don't seem to be concerned with. You had mentioned, you know, that they, for several of the prospects, you know, taken in recent years, they were looked at as potentially having a reliever risk, but the Braves went with them anyway. Is it just the fact that the Braves, just simply say hey the pure stuff is there we want to go with it is it as simple as that what about you know the, the reliever risk the Braves not necessarily have as much concern about as other teams and what about color makes you think what's going to have to happen with him for him to really signal that he can be a starter versus being a reliever in his development in time
2: right i think overall the Braves kind of weigh the pros and cons and they look at their position in the back end of a draft and they say we're not going to get a surefire guy. Those guys don't exist at this point in the draft. What can we get that can maximize our value? If you take a guy, there's re- there's risk in every pitcher. If you take a guy who's command and control over pure stuff, and he doesn't work out, there's no real fallback option. If you take a guy who maybe has some reliever risk but has the potential to be a starter, you now have the ability to maybe develop him as a starter. If it doesn't work out, maybe you have a good reliever. There's more options there for them. I think that's an intriguing factor for them. And because they're a team that right now, the way they've developed, the way they've approached everything at the major league level, they've locked down a lot of guys long-term. They've built up a lot of pitchers in the system. And so now they have the opportunity to say, we don't care if this guy ends up being a reliever. We're going to take the best pure talent we can get, One of these guys is going to hit. Eventually, one of these guys is going to hit. He's going to make us look smart. It's worth the risk of losing four prospects, five prospects, ten prospects if we get one guy who turns into A.J. smith Shaver, Spencer Strider, that type of pitcher. So I think they look at that, and they look at the payoff from that risk, and they're willing to take the risk. Um, With Keeler specifically, the risk is – more that that's he has a very jerky delivery and in some ways it helps him because it's harder to pick up his fastball but in other ways it's just it's too much and you can't repeat that delivery consistently enough to keep his arm slot and to really consistently put his fastball and his breaking balls where he wants to throw them Uh, i've mentioned this with the other guys the Braves are going to make changes to that keeler's a guy that again athletically he is capable of making those changes it's going to come down to the work he puts into that, but he has the body to make the changes that he needs to. And really with him, it's not so much that the changes are fairly simple for him, right? He just needs to slow down. He's very fast. He's very jerky. He really puts a lot of effort in the delivery. And I, I don't know how much benefit it's actually giving him from the delivery. He's, very upper body heavy. He throws a lot with his arm versus really getting his whole body into it. And you look at a guy like Spencer Strider, for example, kind of a similar body um, Strider has a stronger lower body and he pitches through that lower body. And even though he has, he's smaller and he seems a guy with reliever risk and injury risk. He's been able to so far stay healthy and really pitch fairly consistently with that body because he pitches through his lower body and he's, And he's really focuses on the efficiency of his mechanics overall. So with Keeler, the pure stuff is there. He has the spin, he has the velocity, he has the strength, and it's going to be more about refining those mechanics, getting him more driven through that lower body and focusing less on just the pure ferocity of the delivery versus timing when you do those quick motions so that there are periods within your Versus having where he is now, his entire delivery is high effort, and so there's a lot of moving parts there that you have to keep under control, and it's very hard to do, even for the best athletes in the world. If you have a delivery that that's that's that violent, it's very hard to control it. You look at a guy like Spencer Strider. There's violence in his delivery, but it's it, it, he, it's pinpointed to specific moments where it's going to create the best effect. And when you can do that with guys and Strider's a particular example of a guy who works hard, he's very smart, but the Braves as an organization also look for these things within their pitchers. And so for Keeler, they're going to make those changes and try to kind of slow him down, get him more focused on making sure that specific aspects of his delivery are where they need to be. And maybe it improves his command. Maybe it doesn't. I think if it doesn't improve his command, he's probably a reliever. I think he's fine as a reliever. I think looking at these comp picks, if a guy ends up being a reliever, you're willing to take that because I mean a second rounder that makes it to the major league level, that's a good pick most of the time. And so for Keeler, I think there are clear changes that he can make and he has the athleticism to do it. And he's working off of a base of a fastball that's one of that's arguably double plus and he has a slider to go along with that. So what are the Braves going to do in terms of tweaking his mechanics and his pitch arsenal in order to Continue to develop him because they love again they love to tweak with pitches and add pitches and I don't think that Keeler is not good enough to get away with two pitches which is kind of where he is now but he's athletic enough that you would think that he could develop a third pitch and a fourth pitch that would allow him to stick as a starter
0: vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is
1: So of course if we talked now about the specific picks for the Braves from you know the day one if you're joining if you're listening to the podcast weren't able to keep up on Sunday night the picks again were out of Florida you know pitcher Hurston Waldrop at pick 24, pick 59, Drew Hackenberg out of Virginia Tech, and then at pick 70, uh, Chad Keeler out of Campbell University. And and Matt, you know, this is something that had been expressed in in the preview show for the Battery Power podcast, you know, that came out on Wednesday of last week. You mentioned it at the very start of this podcast. The overall pitching, you know, talent in this draft was pretty low compared to previous years. So it may seem a bit odd that, that the Braves went with three pitchers, three college pitchers, with their first three picks, especially in a year where it seemed like that they would go with hitting. But just for your day one reaction, could it be as simple as, you know, hey, if this draft is deeper in hitting, the Braves are just going to go, you know, with some arms that they like. Is it as simple as that? Or what's your overall day one reaction to, you know, the Braves investing in pitching in a draft that may not necessarily be as deep there as previous drafts?
3: I mean, it's definitely a surprise. Uh, I think they definitely got what they they wanted pitching-wise already. I mean, uh, I haven't kept up on the exact total, but I was watching the broadcast and they said there were seven college pitchers taken. Now, This is very late on day one and the Braves already had two. I think there were maybe three or four more. So let's say there were 11 taken and that's not a final number. The Braves had three. So you're talking about 33 to 25% of all the college pitchers on the entire first day of the draft, they're braves. So they're maximizing what they want to take out of this college pitching crop. And I mean, it's clear the skill set that they're going with. So that's definitely, they got that. And that's really all that you could actually hope for going into a draft. If that's what you're seeking to get your pick of, what you're looking for, so I think that, that's kind of where that went, and I do think there are some other good bats, whether we're talking high school bats or maybe earlier tomorrow or later tomorrow and early on day three, but more likely to be some decent college bats, maybe not quite impact guys, but I don't think that necessarily matters. I mean, they just a couple of years ago, took a kid out of Georgia Tech, and I want to say that was the fifth round in Justin Henry Malloy. And I realize he's no longer in the system at this point, but I mean, look at what they turned him into. They turned him into a guy, and uh, Judge Menez has had uh, some ups and downs since coming over, but at the same time, he was a premium piece and afraid. So, and obviously, uh, Justin played in the futures game so there's value in some of these college guys that may look to have some slight flaws to their profile but they definitely have upside with the bat so the Braves might even be targeting something like that in the next two days of this draft
1: and Garrett you know it seems as if you know to Matt's point you know the while pitching may not necessarily have been a strength of this draft, it seems the Braves certainly got a, a good talent haul for what they were targeting. And again, it may be how the draft board fell. But, but Garrett, uh, kind of a two layered question here for you. you now, I think that in terms of how the draft board fell, the Braves got pretty good value, especially when it came to, um, you know, Waldrop and Keeler, you know, and Hackenberg again, you know, if you want to consider him an underslotter, you know, um, you know, Basically just a a money-saving type draft pick. But overall, it seems like they got good value in these pitchers. But, you know, obviously signability comes into this. And the Braves had one of the bottom 10 overall money pools for this draft. What do you think? I know we may not have exact figures, but what do you think the money, uh, money money-wise, how these picks are going to look? How much they're going to impact the overall amount that the Braves had? And do the Braves have a, a, a good chance of signing all three of these pitchers?
2: Well, the Braves will definitely sign all three of these pitchers. They've probably already worked out the money ahead of time before they even draft these guys. They knew what they were paying these guys. I don't think that I think money wise, they're going to be okay. I mean, you look last year, you know, I think for us, it kind of throws up red flags when they take a guy like, you know, um, Hackenberg, who's very clearly an under slot pick. And it's a money saving pick. And you take a guy like that and you think, well, are they out of money already? Uh, but they did that last year with the guy in Blake Burkhalter. They, we knew that he was under slot pick and we were all kind of sitting there at the end of the draft going, what exactly are they doing here? Are they out of money already? Did they spend their money on these first round picks? And then they go into day two and they start taking player after player after player that we like, and they're going over slot in the seventh, eighth round, stuff like that. And so the Braves, I think have money to spend. I don't think it's going to be nearly as much as it was last year because they took Owen Murphy in the first round. It was a very under slot pick in the first round last year. And they had to go over slot, uh, in the second round last year, but ultimately they had a lot more money last year to work with uh, this year. I, I don't think they're going to have that amount of money to work with, but they've been very good at getting guys for just a little bit over slot and turning them into guys. You look even in recent years. I mean, if we're talking hitting talent, the guys that they've gotten, uh, Michael Harris was the third round pick Von Grissom was an 11th round pick Malloy, like he said, I, I can't remember if he was a fifth or a seventh round pick. These are guys that were taken, uh, even last year, Ignacio Alvarez, who's probably the best hitting prospect in the system right now, top two at very least. I mean, these were guys that were, after the day one, these were day two, day three picks that they signed for, you know, $400,000, $500,000 and have turned into some of the top prospects that the Braves have produced in the last seven or eight years. So they're going to have money to get guys like that. And the Braves are targeting guys in those particular cases, guys that are, have specific exit velocity numbers, specific metrics to their game. That's what the Braves kind of look for in those later rounds. They're like, okay, this guy has interesting exit velocity numbers. This guy has interesting spin on his basketball. This guy has these specific athletic traits that we like. We're going to get them. And the Braves have the money, I think, to go get a lot of those guys. I don't know if they're going to be able to make a huge splash like they did with adam meyer or aj smeshava where they can go seven figures on a guy on day two i don't think that they're going to have that type of money but i think they have enough money to really target a lot of those kind of mid-tier prospects that they believe are the market is missing on and hopefully turn them into more players and that's really what they've that's really how they've built their hitting is kind of targeting guys that no one really knew about i, I think i looked at up fairly recently and of The guys that they've developed that have been top prospects, I think Austin Riley is like the only guy that got a seven-figure bonus. The rest of the hitting prospects that they had were like $500,000 or less, and so they're going to have money to do a lot on day two. And Now, these may be guys that we don't know for a year or two that they're good, but the Braves do a very good job of spreading out their money and getting a
1: lot of players that can contribute to the team. So speaking of you know the con- contributing to the team and you know the the fact that the Braves probably do have a comfortable comfortable amount of money left, Matt, we're in day we're going to go to day two now. You know when in picks or excuse me, rounds three through 10, you know, obviously, you know, from the preview show uh, that y'all had last week, it seemed like that, you know, hitting would be potentially a bigger focus, you know, to get some hitting talent into the system. You know, we thought they do it early. They would do it on day one. They went all pitching. So is it safe to assume that there is going to be, you know, several hitting prospects that the Braves could, you know, potentially focus on on day two? Should that be the theme that we should be looking for? And if that's the case, just, you know, some names that you think, really fit what the Braves are looking for when it comes to what they like in, you know, position prospects and, you know, maybe a surprise or two that could be there as high ceiling guys that could be steals potentially in, in, in the middle rounds of the draft.
3: So I don't think that they're necessarily going to target hitters just to grab hitters. I think come down to what they think is the best players on the board and while the system does probably well definitely needs hitters more than it needs pitchers it definitely still needs pitchers even after last year's pitcher heavy draft so I, I definitely don't think that they're necessarily going to target hitters I think going into today the assumption was that they were going to target hitters but that was more based on how everyone expected the board to play out, as opposed to that's what the Braves intended to do on their own. So I don't think we can really expect that. But there's still a lot of names I like, and some of these guys will be, obviously, more signable than others. Uh, Stephen Echabria was a New Jersey prep arm, a young, for his class, upper 90s guy, later riser. Uh, has all the traits to be a successful starter. He was probably the guy I wanted to see most with uh our last couple of picks. Obviously, that did not happen with him. Uh, but there's some other prep pitchers that I could still see them having money to spend on. Uh, Cole Shenwetter, uh, Hero Wyatt, uh, Bishop Letson. But there's also some college pitchers like Jaron Watts Brown. Uh, Tanner Texas, uh, the Wake Forest Stars like uh, Teddy McGraw, who was a potential first-rounder this year but had Tommy John before the season, and it's not his first Tommy John. So, uh, obviously, that put a big question mark onto him, but there's plenty of talent. Um, then there's a guy like Nolan McLean, uh, who was a Mets pick last year, didn't sign. The Braves were very heavily linked to him. Uh, There's other guys who are very highly rated out of high school who have stuff, but their college careers haven't quite played out the way that everyone expected. Uh, Carson Montgomery out of uh, Florida State and Christian Little. Uh, I mean, those are definitely guys that there's at least – past track record and some stuff where if you're Braves and you see something that you could work with, they could be intriguing options if they're gonna be signed up for what you're willing to pay. And then if we're looking at hitters, there's some local guys in particular, uh Drew Baris and Anderson, uh Georgia Tech Commits, Brandon Unicoer, another outfielder. A uh, guy that I saw out in the futures game coming out of high school, uh, Rock Reggio, uh, a kid who's just as a second baseman, doesn't really slash outfielder, doesn't really have a defensive home, but can really hit. I mean, he's not a, an exact Justin Henry Molloy, but I mean, you've got some similar traits in that the guy just produces with the bat and he doesn't really have. A uh, true defensive home. I mean, if they really wanted to swing for the fences, they could take a chance on a guy like a Deuce Robinson, the big-time football recruit who is available and does want to get drafted. And it's probably a little ambitious to think he would even make it there, but uh, Jack is a guy that I'm surprised is still even out there. So, I mean, those are some names that I could see the Braves either. Targeting or would want to see them target.
1: And, Garrett, you know, Matt brings up a great point, you know, about the fact that, you know, just with where the Braves system is and just overall, you know, in terms of the Major League Baseball draft, you just want to go with talent. You know, you're going to go with what's best on your ball, regardless of if it's a pitcher or if it's a hitter. But taking that perspective out of it, you know, looking at positional implications or, you know, potential skill sets that this, you know, Braves system needs. I know it can use, you know, some help in a lot of areas, but do you feel that there's anything that stands out, a particular trait about, you know, some of these available draft picks, you know, like. Could the Braves use potentially you know, more defensive upside you know, uh, uh, when they're targeting picks, or should they go with as high a ceiling as possible? Are there any particular trends that you could see the Braves focusing on when it comes to the picks that they make outside of just trying to get the best value possible with each pick on day two? Well, there are a few things that they do every year. They get a few catchers. They get a few athletic up
2: the middle players, center fielder shortstops, things like that. And they get a few athletic pitchers and kind of see what they can do. Um, a few guys that I like, you know, that could go in that third round that are still available would be guy like, and I, and I know you'll like this, Vamal Huna from Tennessee. A great defender. Hasn't really hit that well um, in college. He's been a little inconsistent, but a guy that there's ability there for him to be a hitter. And the Braves like that like to develop guys and like to develop high-level athletes another one would be um another one i you know i like to pick a tanner witt i think they're a little bit afraid of uh, injured pitchers this year just because of the amount of uh, injuries they've had throughout the system but tanner witt's a guy that i really like uh, overall if they can afford him which i think is kind of the question now for a lot of teams but overall i think you're just going to see a lot of guys that are you're going to see a lot of athletic outfielders they get a ton of athletic outfielders every single year you're going to see a lot of Athletic pitching talent, and you're gonna see a handful of shortstops that they they're just gonna stick in, they're gonna stick in shortstops and second bases and see who ends up hitting. And they've developed quite a few kind of mid-tier talents like Luke Waddell and um Cody Milligan, you know, guys that are more kind of utility type players, but players that they they like to get in guys with hit tools and just see where it takes them. And you'll see a lot of that.
1: So, so the trends are going to basically continue for what the Braves have done in the past. There's definitely plenty to look forward to. Guys, again, you know, the, I, I love having these conversations because your your analysis and perspectives are always excellent. You know, day one is in the books. Any final thoughts, you know, from day one as, as we enter day two and anything that, you know, you're, you're specifically looking for? I guess perhaps to put it in a general question, what would you like to see happen that would really make day two be successful for the Braves?
2: think for me uh it, it's just about getting a lot of day two is just gonna be about getting again doing what they did last year and just getting a lot of guys in those mid rounds that are solid athletic players that they feel they can develop I, I think they're not gonna do in the past they've taken a lot of those kind of senior signs and really started senior signs you know fourth fifth round I don't think that they're gonna do that anymore I, I think that they as long as they kind of spread their money out and get a lot of I think that they feel that the best way to build a system is to get a lot of mid-tier talents and hope one hits versus spending a lot of money on one guy. And if he fails, then your whole draft is over. I think that you're going to see a lot of guys go throughout the system. And as long as they kind of get a variety of athletes that they can work with, I'm going to be pretty much okay with these second day guys. I mean, these second day guys, they're not huge investments. So uh, we tend to trust the area scouts and what they know a lot when it comes on, these when it comes to these day two
1: guys. And, Matt, I know that, you know, as we get deeper into the draft, your knowledge is certainly, you know, something to enjoy hearing and in getting your perspective on things. Just what are you looking for overall in in, in day two? And, you know, what what would make you come away feeling, you know, hey, the, the, the Braves definitely had a successful day?
3: I think there's two different things that they could do that would make me feel good about this draft, whether it's the first one, go after one really big target and spend the bulk of what we have on them and then just go with players. I think that's the least likely of the two just because we need quantity in the system. Or we could start to see somewhat of the 2019 draft take place where it's just multiple shots at players they like. Maybe players that aren't super expensive maybe have some flaws or overlooked in some way, but there's talent with them. So uh, they could load up on guys that aren't really considered necessarily like a list, or I guess you can technically B list, which would be the top guys available at this point. Since we're talking about day two, but guys like, uh, I mean Michael Harris would have fit into that category where he was not a super high-priced player coming up back in 2019, and we were able to see him drafted and signed at a comfortable number. I mean, you could load up on guys like that and then take chances on prep guys and or college guys throughout the rest of day two and day three. So and when that's the other thing about day two, it's also about how you're going to set up day three with money to be able to target other kinds of players. So uh, there's lots that could go into it in a couple of different ways that can play out, but uh, it's just going to be how they're going to spend the money that's what I'm watching for.
1: Well, there certainly is going to be plenty to watch. And and like I say, we've got two of the best in Garrett and Matt who are going to be with us each and every day when it comes to covering the draft day ones in the books. Now we've obviously got you know, our podcast react our first podcast reaction in the books. Make sure that you follow Garrett Spain at Braves M I L B on Twitter, as well as Matt powers at Matt powers 31. They'll be giving the reactions on there, but we'll be back with you tomorrow and Tuesday tomorrow rounds three through 10. And then Tuesday rounds 11 through 20. We'll have a podcast reaction each and every day, Garrett, Matt, it's been a lot of fun. I hope y'all get some rest. I know it's going to be a busy next few days. Look forward to enjoying some of the reactions with you. Thank you for your time, guys. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, hosting this for us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And of course, you can find all the great stuff. You know, we got a new Battery Power podcast that's out on the Battery Power Podcast Network. You can find all this great content at batterypower.com, at SBN, across all forms of social media, free on all podcast platforms, wherever you listen, that's where we'll be for free. Just hit that subscribe button. You'll get the latest content when it's available. For Garrett Spain, Matt Powers, my name's Sean Coleman. Day one MLB Draft Reactions podcast is in the books. We'll talk with you again tomorrow here on the Battery Power Podcast Network.
0: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals.